John Metcalf was senior editor at Porcupine's Quill until 2005 and is now fiction editor at Biblioasis. He is the author of more than a dozen works of fiction and non-fiction, including Standing Stones, Selected Stories, Adult Entertainment, Going Down Slow, and Kicking Against the Pricks. He lives in Ottawa with his wife, Myrna, who is in the room with us as we speak. Welcome to the Bibliophile. <laughs> Today's program is, is going to be devoted to negative reviewing. I'd like to, first of all, with you, find reviewing in general and start by suggesting that there are four components. Description, comparison, argument, and evaluation. Do you mm -hmm. say that pretty well covers it? I would think so, yeah. And so as long as a, a review does a good job in all, all of those areas, it can make a convincing argument in favor or against a particular book. Mm -hmm. Where negative reviewing shows up is when the critic goes beyond those four components and adds insult and invective. And I just wonder why a reviewer would resort to that. Well, I would think that the last component that you mentioned, evaluation, is one that, if it evaluates, has to say, this book is not as good as either a run of books on a similar topic, or if it's a, a book on a particular uh, concept or something like that, this book is not as good as the book that came out three years ago by so-and-so, and we compare and contrast. And we might also, when you say about invective or whatever, I mean, there are, there are some books, in fact, very large numbers of books, just so ill-written that they need castigation, that we need somebody to say, this writer cannot write English. Now, the literature, the culture needs critics who will tell the truth. Now, there was a very famous Canadian critic who was a, largely a theatre critic. What was his name, Myrna? Nathan? Oh, Nathan Cohen. Nathan Cohen, who routinely took to pieces theatrical productions in Toronto. And he said, this actor wouldn't survive a weekend in London you know, and should be chucked off the stage, you know. This play is so ill-written compared with what is happening in New York and London, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. I don't find that a negative activity at all. I think it's a very positive activity, and it must be said if we are going to survive as a literary culture. For, I mean, for example... I have said in print, and would not withdraw from, and would repeat, Vasanji, for example, who has won the Giller Prize twice, and has been shortlisted, I think, for a third time, cannot write English. And everything that he writes reads as if it's ESL, you know, or a translation into English from some obscure language, which it doubtless is, you know, and which isn't his fault. But, you know, the Giller jury cited his book as splendid, marvellous prose in its citation when they gave him that award. Now, if we live in a society where we can have Alice Munro, 
here, and we can have Vasanji here, and they both win the same awards, then an illiterate public is going to say they must mean the same thing, which is an idea so laughable, if you can read, that somebody should stand up and say, what bloody rubbish are we listening to? Now, you see, I don't see that as hostile or negative or anything of the kind. I think it's merely common sense. What you're doing is comparing the work of Alice Munro, the gold standard, with work that well, it, I'm is being unjustly I, I, I'm compared com to I, I'm it. I'm comparing it with work which wins the same awards. Yes. So that our society, Canadian society, which is a totally illiterate one, I mean, even our Department of Heritage is unable to spell the names of Margaret Lawrence, you know, and then people like this, and when, when they do press releases and things. I mean, you know, we're, we're run by an illiterate bureaucracy. And the whole idea of a country which administers its literature with a bureaucracy is deeply comic. Um, you know, I mean, we live in a society that has a competition called Canada Reads. I mean, how puerile can you possibly get? So, to say to, you know, this illiterate society, well, this person and this person, they've both won the same prizes, therefore they're the same thing. You know, a book is a book is a book. Um, somebody has got to stand up and say, this is gibberish. Well, somebody's got to stand up and compare the two and then come up with reasoned arguments to... Oh, does one have to come up with reasoned argument? For Christ's sake, you read one paragraph of Vasanji and you know that you are not dealing with a person who can handle the English language. I mean, there's no, there's, there's no debate, there's no question, it's not my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's no, the opinion of anybody who is literate, who can read. Yes, but he's won these awards. Well, fuck that. I mean, you know, all kinds of people have won weird awards. You know, I mean, I could probably read you a list of the last ten winners of the Nobel Prize and you wouldn't have heard of a single one of them. That's because they're Swedish and they don't understand. <laughs> no, it's not. They, they might be from all over the Swedish. world, you know. No, no, but the, the <laughs> oh, jury. The jury yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, no. I mean, the... You know, you, you can either read or you can't read. And I mean, to defend, to, 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 to have to defend, to, you know, for you to say to me, you have to sort of say, here's a paragraph of Alice Munro and here's a paragraph of Vasanji, and you have to show how one is not the equivalent of the other, or, you know, no, no. I mean, these are games I'm not prepared to play. I mean, you either know this. Or you don't know it. And if you don't know it, I can never teach you. Because you'll never understand. You're obviously emotionally engaged with this. Is that the point where you swear or you, you feel like you need to express that you're disgust in a way beyond just a rational argumentation? Is that the justifying uh, well, let's, point? Let's, let's put it this way. As far as I'm concerned, and I have devoted 40 years of my life to this and more, literature is one of the most important things in the world. And I'm not prepared to play games with semi-literate people who claim that 
my assertion that Vasanji cannot write English is untrue. I mean, I simply say, I'm not interested. Go away. You know, shut up. Piss off. And I say that out of the strength of the fact that I read more manuscripts than you could imagine in a year. And over 40 years, I cannot imagine how many manuscripts I've read. I edit the Oberon Press's Best Canadian Stories. I handle this stuff every single day of my life, and I write. And I know what the best is. So it's very simple. <laughs> Vasanji isn't it. Alice Munro is. Let's say there's, there are two authors whose qualities aren't quite so mismatched. Hmm. Given that situation, you'd be a critic would be well served to provide rational argument to, to provide some sort of grounding for their evaluation. Well, yes, I mean, if so, I, if so, I sorry, were writing a review. So, in terms of where insult would come in or the use of invective, it would be where the disparity, let's say, between two works is so great, you just, <laughs> there's, a certain, there's a level of disgust that yes, requires well, I mean, yeah, the use no, of forceful absolutely, language. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think some, some people are so atrocious as writers that they deserve invective, and indeed more than invective. I mean... What, lynching? Well, public scourging might be a possibility. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can remember when I was reading... Anne-Marie MacDonald's Fall on Your Knees. It took me almost two bottles of scotch to get through that book. I have rarely read anything so badly written, yet it was heralded all over the world. I mean, not just in Canada. I mean, Canada's bad enough, but I mean, it, it was heralded all over the place. as absolutely phenomenal, terrific, wonderful book. And it sold, God knows, you know, truckfuls of copies I mean, a more ridiculous book you would have to go a long, long way to find. I mean, it was so grossly written and so grossly thought and felt that merely saying so was not enough. One had to go after it and point out to people what happens in this book. And you tell them what happens in the descriptive. It's preposterous, the, the, the things that, that, that go on in it, you know. I mean, uh, and then you say, can normal, serious people regard this book seriously? And the answer is, yes, they can. It was voted by the Globe and Mail as one of the most esteemed books of the year. It won God knows how many awards. Well, I mean, the answer to this is to attack it with savagery which I did, and with great pleasure, too. Isn't that what Virginia Woolf said about reviewing? One of the things that gave her the most delight was the fact that she could be nasty. I mean, one doesn't go out looking for it, but, I mean, look at it from the other way round. This person who did this thing is doing it to me, right? Why so do you, you guys sit still? You feel an insult. Yes. 
you want to return? Oh, I, I, I felt that it was a direct uh, attack on everything I value, yes. I mean, a book about Gaelic-speaking Lebanese in Cape Breton in the 19th century, I mean, do, do join the world, you know. So you're angry. I've just picked up a copy of A Lover's Quarrel, Essays and Reviews by Carmine Darnino, which you, in fact, read it for the press. There's something he has to say about anger. Would you say that that's sort of a determining factor as to whether or not you would hit back with savagery is the degree of anger that you experience in no, reading? No, the degree of anger to which I have been provoked. Remember, this is not a one-way thing. This is a two-way thing. Somebody else starts it and I'll finish it. So the author has wasted your time and offended me deeply because of your love of your love of literature but your desire to laud what is truly great yes anything else well I mean if you were reverting to uh, Anne-Marie MacDonald and fall on your knees I mean I'd say that it was almost an assault on every value that I hold sacred I mean, she simply cannot write. I mean, you know, the book was just a, a, a sort of a horror show full of cliches and nonsense. And Have you met her? No. When a critic achieves a certain notoriety, he or she starts to rub shoulders with the people that he or she reviews. Mm. There's been suggestion that that tempers their criticisms. Would you say that's accurate? Well, I mean, I know some professional critics who will not go to literary parties and such like because they don't want to meet people that they're going to be reviewing. It would make no difference to me because I'm interested only in the book. If somebody I knew and liked wrote a lousy book, I would tend, uh, I would probably tend uh, not to review it, but if I did, I would review it honestly. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, the, the whole question about honesty in this is that what one is serving is larger and more important than oneself. And if you are serving a culture or a literature, then you would regretfully have to say, this book is by a friend of mine and he usually writes very good books, but this book is not good. Now, doesn't that get to the nub of a lot of criticism in this country, though? It boils down to personal slight. No, I think the nub of criticism in this country is that what little criticism there is written is written to assuage the feelings of newspaper proprietors and that what is published as criticism is largely laudatory nonsense written by people who know that the newspapers are expecting them to be, generally speaking, respectful and um, to serve the purpose of the newspapers printing the review in the first place, which is to get advertising money from the publisher who published mm. the book. Let's say in the case of a negative review, though. There are very few. How many can you think of? Lots of yours. Yeah. Are well, they motivated by personal no, slight or not? Absolutely not, no, absolutely not. And actually, you know, there aren't lots of mine because I don't write any reviews. In fact, the review that I did in CNQ I think was the first one that I've probably written in 15 or 20 years. 
I guess I'm basing that statement on the, the books of criticism that I've read of you. Oh, well, I mean, those are books. Yeah. <laughs> They're not newspaper reviews. Here's the quote. Uh, I'm quoting from uh, Carmine uh, Starnino's A Lover's Quarrel. Much of the writing in A Lover's Quarrel had its origins in anger. Anger at the unmerited neglect of a poet. Anger at the overblown fanfare attending a book and anger at the circumstances conspiring to ensure that poems in this country continue to be crudely read. Mm -hmm. The degree of anger would determine the degree of insult and invective. What is Carmen being angry about? He's not being angry about Joe Smith, and he's not being angry with Joe Smith. Particularly, he's got much more important fish to fry. What he's angry about, and anger seems to me absolutely the uh, correct response, he is angry about the inflated reputations of some alleged poets. He's angry about the low level of appreciation of poetry in the country. He's angry about the inabilities of most academics to understand anything at all about poetry. He's angry about literature in general and its place in the modern world. And uh, this seems to me to be utterly commendable. Uh, this is precisely the way I feel. Um, and precisely the motivations which, you know, would provide me with feelings of anger. When I read uh, all, all the commendations of, of novelists in the Globe and Mail and the National Post and, you know, Quill and Choir and, you know, wherever, and I know, I mean, usually without having read a word of them, that it's all nonsense. It's all commerce. And the evaluation, the fourth part of your division of the responsibilities of a review, evaluation doesn't take place. I, I forget who it was, Doubleday or, you know, one of those wretched companies owned by Random House, uh, came up with this slogan that they put on all their advertising that said, the new face of fiction, you know, and all these bloody awful books that appeared one after another. All of them absolutely unreadable. And anybody with any literary sense whatsoever knows that a really important book of fiction comes maybe once every ten years out of England or the United States and not here because we don't have an audience hard enough to exact that great book. If you understand what I mean. Well, the fact that that again is, is what you're doing. Is you're being more than hard, let's say. Are you compensating for the lack of hardness that exists in Canada? Well, yeah. I mean, it's one's duty. I mean, the, 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 the Canadian critic's duty is to be vitally aware of what is happening in England and what is happening in the United States and to compare Canadian output with the best mm -hmm. from those two countries. And, of course, when you do that, the result is, is painful. I mean, we're not even on the same planet. And, um, you know, 
you, you can't get Toronto to understand that. They yeah. have their own little machinery. They have, you know, Quill and Choir, and they have M&S, and they have the Giller Prize, and they have Harbour Front, and they have this and that. And, yeah. and those, all of those sort of apparatus, uh, apparati, are Do there to laud uh, Canadian product, right? To which is which is largely of a commercial nature in the first place, and is undistinguished. And when compared with what is cheerleading or boosterism, yes, or yes, it's all the same bloody story since the 1920s in this country. It's ludicrous. It always has been ludicrous, and it looks as though it's getting worse. If anything. I mean, for example, you know, if I looked back over the last, say, 15 years, and I was thinking of marvellous books, things that have meant, in literary terms, like a huge amount to me, like Naipaul's Inner Free State, or Graham Swift's Waterlands, or... Um, Malcolm Bradbury's The History Man or Eating People is Wrong. These are books that stand like beacons for me. Or a lot of Amos as well. Kingsley, I mean, not Martin. Then I think, is there a Canadian novel that meant anything to me at all in the last 30 years? And the only one, to be absolutely honest, that meant anything to me at all was St. Urban's Horseman by Mordecai Rochelle. That is the only book that it seems to me Canada has produced which is in contention in world literature. And you can pick it up for about 30 bucks. Yeah, or less. <laughs> exactly. No, well, nobody wants to buy it or read it. Okay, so we've, uh, we've looked at personal slight as a motivation. Mm -hmm. We've looked at anger at boosterism. What other, what just, not what justifies the use of insult, but where is it appropriate and where is it not appropriate? One doesn't want to take a, a sledgehammer to crack a hazelnut. I mean, there's no point in that. I mean, that would be like my having a personal go at, at Vasanji. I can't be bothered. I mean, all I can say is read this, which is what I did in Shut Up Explained, I say, read this paragraph. If you think that's English, then you've got problems. That doesn't seem to me insulting or anything of the kind. But when, How, when is the use of it, it insult oh, appropriate? Oh, well, it, it's appropriate when you feel that the entire literary carnival has gathered together to celebrate something ridiculous. And then, I think insult is terrific, and furthermore, it's fun. Beyond that, it can be so memorable. Fun to write, fun to read. Right. So and it also fulfills a function, because in a memorable way, you are saying to a readership, I am responding to this thing that I'm talking about with contempt or with disgust. And maybe you should too. And I mean, they're glorious when you pull them off. I once said about Rudy Weed, 
but you can't explain the idea of elegance to somebody if they don't understand and I said it would be like telling a joke to Rudy Weave right? now that's very rude and, and in your terms in which you're talking probably very savage but it also encapsulates something truth and humor or wit he's, or... he's a, a Mennonite ponderously lacking in humor I don't think much of a writer although he has won the Governor General award two or three times but no good stuff I, I like warfare I approve of warfare I liked John Sparrow the English academic who said of F.R. Leavis if he'd wash his neck, I'd wring it. I'm all for this stuff. I think it's fine, you know. Canadians are very wishy-washy. You will find people that would line up to say, oh, it isn't really very nice to say this. Sure as hell it isn't very nice. It wasn't intended to be, you know. There's a couple of things. It's going to cause, quote, hurt. Unquote. Oh, sure. It good. is good and it's if it's gonna, accurate. Yeah, yes. it's going to cause a great deal yeah. of hurt, which is the point. The point, though, I would think, would be to raise the bar. Ultimately. That, that is exactly what it's doing. Because if you have gone along all your life thinking, Rudy Weave, oh yes, he writes those books and he's won three Governor General's Awards, he must be one of the most important writers in the country, and then I come along and make this smart-ass crack it might just make you think, oh, maybe I'll have to go and have a look at this and see mm. what's going on. Yeah. Which is the function of what it should be doing. Mm -hmm. I'd suggest that the other thing that it does is it really pisses off the person that you hurt. Oh, yeah. And one would hope, inspire them to respond in kind. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you dish it out, you should also take it. Sure, yeah, I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, I'm, I'm all for warfare. I mean, I think warfare's a good thing, you know. You stand out in the Canadian literary world because of this, but your writing, if I may say so, is among the most entertaining that, that exists in the country. I, I only stand out because... You wouldn't stand out in England or no, maybe no, in the States. No, 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 not at all, yeah. not at all. That's, that's the whole point. I mean, you should see the things that go on in the TLS, you know, and the warfare in London about, you know, between writers and... Wonderfully entertaining. Well, of course, yeah. And the thing is that we ought to be in the grown-up world, which is not a world where people say, now children play together nicely get on with each other. I mean, have you any idea of the warfare that surrounds Martin Amos? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, they're, they're just at each other's throats all the time in England. And I don't see anything particularly wrong with it. I mean, I, I do see something wrong with the utter blandness of Canadian literature. Mm. The two figures that really sum up Canadian literary life for me are Timothy Finlay, whom I had always thought pretty untalented and deeply florid in style and very often hysterical and Robertson Davies like one of the biggest windbags and frauds that I've ever come across and they are revered in Canadian literary society everybody goes and says oh how wonderful Tiff was and 
what a great artist Robertson Davies was. You know. I always remember writing a review, actually, of the, the Rebel Angels, which I thought was one of the worst books that I had read in many a long year. I can't remember how many bottles of scotch it took to get me through that one. More but than uh, more Henry, than, uh, Henry uh, Yeah, I think so, actually. It's, it's, a, much, it's a slimmer book. It, but, <laughs> but it's tedious going. But it, it's a dreadful book. And... Um, uh, you know, every character in it, male, female, young, old, all speak in the same voice. You know, Roberts and Davies would. Mm. Um, and, and the whole thing is uh, silly, you know. I wrote it, no, let me finish. Sure. I wrote about him that I thought it was a, a atrociously bad book. And I was actually ticked off in the Toronto Star by Beverly Slopen, who was a sort of a sycophant of Roberts and Davies who described my review of him as churlish. I mean, dear God. And, you know, the Canadian uh, reviewers and, uh, you know, potasters in Toronto sort of said, Robertson Davies, oh yes, well, Anthony, uh, what is his Burgess, Burgess th 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 thinks he's a great novelist, mm -hmm. you know. And I said... Has anyone ever considered that Anthony Burgess might be an even worse novelist than Robertson Davies? But well, has anyone ever considered that, that, uh, that Anthony Burgess put that list together as a joke? <laughs> he did, apparently. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it's... I, I don't know. It's, it, seems, it seems to me, really, that, that um, any invaluative approach to literature would lead to an improved situation. I, it would make us all much more astringent and we wouldn't blunder around proclaiming each new you know large random house publishing event you know an epoch making uh, you know discovery and etc etc and we could but it's emptying out the, the, the value it's devaluing the word I mean, of with every superlatives book that comes yeah. out it, 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 you yeah. know, it becomes a more and more hollow occupation yeah. yeah exactly and I mean we all ought to go back and think a little bit more about um, well people like I'm reading just at the moment uh, Nabokov or somebody like this I mean you know if, if you're talking about Quality and style mm -hmm. and importance. Then, I think, I think then, then you have to you have to say, yeah. Well, Nabokov was probably more important than anything in the last fifty years. You know? Yes, <laughs> I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's a, it you're you're almost treated like a traitor if you say simply, as you've said, that there aren't that many great works out there. They come along if you're lucky once every ten years. Yeah. But in the meantime, what do you do? You don't want to shit on everything and demoralize everyone. No, I you, you want to pick and I no. suppose you want to pick and choose and and, and, well, and some say, sort of some sort of balance. But I mean let me say this. I don't shit on everything. I am very, very active in publishing the people that I consider the best writers in this country. The country doesn't want to know, and they won't read them, but I do, and I not only read them, 
but I edit them and I publish them. And the list is extraordinary. You know? Annabelle Lyon, Caroline Addison, Katie Miller, Steve Hyten, you know, Russell Smith. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. So, I mean, don't say that I spend all my time being negatively critical. I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm critical of a great deal of crap. And I regard most of everything that comes out of Random House and M&S and, you know, whatever else they, they own up there. Uh, yeah, I'm critical of that because it's, it's, it's not literature, it's commerce. I mean, they're just producing fodder for entertainment. It's, it's not anything to do with... That's what's wrong with Canada, that we have been seduced through ignorance and stupidity into believing that what in any other country would be regarded as commercial entertainment is in fact literature. And the actual literature which is produced by the small presses in the country, or a very small handful of them, is ignored entirely. It's unknown because it's not promoted, it's not commercially, commercially exploitable, uh, and it's hard, it's difficult, it's demanding stuff to read. I was shocked by Quill and Choir that in an editorial piece said that the attitude of the publishing industry, i.e. Toronto, to the short story was that it was all very well, but it was like a bit like the NDP, you know probably worthy in some vague kind of way, but then these are their exact words, but not quite grown up. Now, this can be said by the organ of Canadian publishing about the form, which is the quintessential form in the 20th century of modernism, and which has seen the work of the greatest writers of the 20th century. Then it's the most challenging. And, and it's the most beautiful and the most challenging. But, I mean, you see, the attitude that we've got towards it is just totally philistine. We don't understand anything. I mean, we think fall on your knees is important because it sells a million copies, you know. So let's just wind up by, again, looking at the justification for the use of invective and insult. Not necessarily talking about your own personal experiences, mm -hmm. but just there's a justification for its use and it results in hostility. And in a small pond like Canada, it's, it's difficult to, to say something without it having repercussion. Oh, certainly, yeah. But what, I, what have you got against hostility? <laughs> I don't have anything. I find it the most entertaining writing around. I wish there was more of it. It's an art, but I, but form. It's an art form. Uh, insult. It's, it's, it's a wonderful the, thing. It's witticisms. It's, it's, yes. I'm just trying to get to the nub of why ad hominem attacks would be attached to the, the four components that we started off the conversation with. Why aren't those four good enough? That's, I guess, the question. Well, because certain things outrage one. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's all very well going around pretending that one is you know, totally august and, you know, in one's judgment. And I mean, certain books get up my nose and, you know, um, I will do dirt to the people who did them to me and it will give me pleasure. 
Thanksgiving, that's so much pleasure. <laughs> Our pleasure. I've been speaking with John uh, Metcalf, who was senior editor at Porcupine's Quill until 2005. He's now the fiction editor at Biblioasis. His most recent book is called Shut Up, He Explained, a literary memoir, volume two, following from... An Aesthetic Underground, a literary memoir. That's volume one. Yep. Thanks again. Thank <laughs> you.